Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Martin Broadbeck. Marty is the Chief Technology Officer of Priceline. And in that role, he's responsible for all product design, engineering, infrastructure, security, support, and operations for the company. Marty's been a CTO six times over, including at companies like Shutterstock, Diageo, and Pfizer. Marty, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Peter, thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Oh, it's, uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Well, um, take a moment if you would. I think most people would be familiar with Priceline's business, but uh, perhaps not uh, sort of the, the full breadth of it. I wonder if you could take a quick moment and provide an overview, please. Yeah, Priceline is a travel marketplace that provides the best deals for flights, rental cars, hotels, and packages, which are really a combination of hotels or flights, hotels or rental car, rental cars and planes. Uh, and that's really the consumer side of, of the business. We also have a very substantial B2B side of our business as well that provides capabilities to third parties from white labels. For instance, we power the white label for Spirit Airlines. And we also provide uh, API capabilities where we're uh, supporting third-party companies and websites through our hosted API that provides them a breadth and depth of supply from uh, our hotel backend products. Very interesting. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about some of the areas that I know you and your team are focused on. I know from a recent conversation you and I had that uh, you are a sophisticated users of machine learning and artificial intelligence. You've developed an array of self-service analytics uh, associated with the platform as well. I know you've also gotten further into, speaking of AI, generative AI, a topic of, of great interest and curiosity uh, among technologists and non-technologists alike. Talk a bit about some of the, 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 the ways in which you're leveraging um, AI and ML in some creative ways. Yeah, so... Um... About three and a half years ago, we first started developing uh, what's known as our customer data platform. And that's really uh, the brains behind understanding what consumers are searching, buying and purchasing on our platform. And on top of that platform, we've built some uh, sophisticated uh, machine learning and AI capabilities around personalization, recommendation and sorting of our products on our website and we've we've been doing that for you know quite some time uh, before our modernization efforts and even now we've put those on a modern platform uh, we also do some very sophisticated machine learning techniques and capabilities for really in our marketing tech department where we're bidding on keywords um, and search terms that consumers and users will use to book and search for travel that's all built on our internal machine learning platform that's powered by by Google. We've we've really gone all in on generative AI. We have several really interesting use cases ranging from enhancing our hotel product to automating uh, software development to creating marketing copy to building out an internal chatbot for employees. And we have several other use cases that we're currently in development on right now. And we see really some fascinating new user experiences that will be enabled through that. The opportunity to 
cross sell and recommend products in new and fascinating ways. And also for a lot of productivity gains in our software engineering space. Interesting overview. And, and given the fact that uh, so many of the advances have happened in relatively just recent weeks and months, um, how have you thought to organize your team to be able to come up with the ideas you've just described? Uh, was it a sort of skunk works of a sort or a small cadre of folks who were assigned to, to kind of play around with it, to, to investigate uses? Was it something where you uh, drew insights more broadly? How have you thought about that? Similar to how we we innovate on product features, we used we looked at generative AI no differently than when we build new product features or, or functionality for our for our customers. We looked at first off, we wanted to ground ourselves in some reality and and building use cases that we thought were directly going to have a positive impact for the consumer or customer across our products. Because when we when we target innovation, we want to make sure that it actually is going to have a meaningful impact on our business versus just doing something that becomes throwaway. So the use cases, we took a, a small collection of software engineers and product folks and internally did a, a brainstorming session where we came up with some really creative ideas around uh, generative AI and its applicable use cases and then started building those out from there similar to how we build out any set of product features. I think that the interesting thing now is from a design perspective, the, the interaction between the engineer and the product person when they're actually building or designing a prompt, it actually automates a lot of the coding that would have to happen in, in building similar capabilities and not having generative AI. So we've seen a real boost and productivity and being able to get features to market by using the prompt designs that you now have at your fingertips versus having to write, you know, hundreds of lines of code to generate those kinds of prompts. And I know a related topic and a topic of great interest of yours is continuing to augment um, a developer productivity and uh, as a means of speeding up innovation um, and ultimately a, a stronger and faster contribution to value for the company as well. This, among other ways, I would love to understand some of the, some of the methods that you've used in order to do so. We've made uh, developer productivity one of our pillars of our technology strategy now going on three years. So it's a real focus for us. When we originally started on this journey, I would say about three years ago, it was all about just taking the, the bottlenecks out of our software development process, similar to a, a Six Sigma kind of approach was like, where are the inefficiencies where we have to have multiple humans involved? And so we started off by automating deploys and using techniques like blue-green deploys to be able to effectively test a feature within the wild and then to scale it up pretty seamlessly using Kubernetes. And then we, we started looking at ways in which we can get all of our development teams on a single uh, pipeline tool that, um, that would allow them to just innovate on the software and not have to worry about you know, manual deployment. So we basically looked to automate all the things from build to deploy. Now what we've started looking at are ways in which we can automate the tasks of a software engineer. So we've created our own platform that we call Plaza that allows a software engineer to design and deploy instances of our infrastructure uh, through a unified tool. So no matter where they're at, they can 
uh, do anything from standing up software to automating networking routes to finding a owner of a piece of code to understanding where they can, you know, connect to an API endpoint. Uh, and so we built all that tooling internally uh, to make our developers uh, more productive uh, in terms of having a one-stop shop where they can get all their tooling. What we're now working on is automating a lot of their functional QA capabilities up front. So rather than um, a developer having to write unit tests or work with a software developer and test to write unit tests, we're looking at generative AI and, and a product from a company called Mabel that will allow us to automate the the um, the building uh, of of unit and functional tests within our environment. Uh, we still have more to go. I'm sure after I get off this podcast with you, the developers will have a series of new things that they want to actually go tackle. But I think the key for us is we actually treat our developer productivity uh, like a product where every quarter we have goals, we have new features that we want to add, we have a roadmap around it. Uh, and we're very deliberate in the investments that we make in that space uh, against the, the product roadmap that we've developed internally. Really fascinating, Marty. And I know that another strategic imperative of yours is to focus on customer performance. I wonder if you can kind of uh, uh, provide a definition there as well, again, as some of the methods that you're using. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we we are working on is a, is a brand new customer care platform that provides our call center agents with a, a three six degree view of the customer. So understanding their search history, what they booked with us in the past is key for us to providing, uh, a, a, you know, a best in class customer experience. And so we've been working with a company called Customer with a K on building out that brand new uh, call center platform. Uh, and then the second piece is rather than having, um, you know, customers have to call into our call center, we're building out much more self-service tooling that enables them to cancel, rebook uh, their flight or hotel just using APIs that we've developed and creating almost uh, a self-service base capability around that. And then um, the other one that I'm really excited about, and this is again in the generative AI space, is that we're building out a, a, a set of capabilities that allows customers to, to book or ask questions about planning trips uh, through a generative AI capability that we'll, we'll be looking to launch probably in the third quarter of this year on our, on our core platform. So, you know, questions around baggage fees, uh, questions around best itineraries for travel, uh, attractions and restaurants close to this hotel to, you know, what do I do with a 12 year old in the winter time in New York city, if I'm staying in Bryant park, all of those capabilities we want to bring to fruition to the platform to make available for our customers and consumers. Really powerful. It'd be interesting to see how that continues to unfold. Uh, I wanted to ask you also, Marty, uh, your tenure with the company uh, certainly overlaps significantly with the period of, of COVID. And naturally, that was a trying time for any company that focuses on the travel space as travel basically ground to a halt for a long period of time. 
it is now uh, come roaring back as anyone who's watching or listening has tried to you know book, book a flight or a hotel uh, or a rental car. <laughs> They'll know that they're harder to come by and higher priced and all these sorts of things. So uh, the industry is certainly coming roaring back and making up for lost time. But I wonder the, the necessity to scale back and scale forward requires an organization that's nimble enough to be able to do so effectively, um, just as a, a downturn, especially one of unprecedented levels as the one that uh, uh, met this industry in, in early 2020, it can be paralyzing, but so can a, 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 a almost beyond expectation uh, return of business as well. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about the, the, the methods that you've used in order to ensure that yours is an organization that can sort of ratchet back and forth uh, and be nimble enough to do so uh, in good times and bad. Yeah, I think um, I I I like to answer that question. You know, based on three dimensions that I always look at when we're when we, particularly when we are trying to solve the, a, a series of problems when we were when we were in COVID. The first is is people. Um, we have a pretty you know flat organization where teams are organized by you know functional groups and functional capabilities. So almost like a squads and guilds model where we have a pool of front end engineers, a pool of back end engineers, a pool of DevOps people. So the ability for us to pivot and build out new or different products is very flexible. And we we made sure that we cemented that structure during during COVID. Um, the second was process. We We do quarterly planning all the time. So every quarter we're planning product features and or capabilities. And the reason why we do that is it creates nimbleness in terms of how we do capacity planning and how we position our resources to work on the most critical things for for the company. And then three is really the technology. Um, You know, when when I first started almost four and a half years ago, we had a very, what I would say, monolithic code base, which makes it extremely hard for individual teams to work in a very rapid fashion because there are so many interdependencies of that code base with other teams. So in order to do a release, for instance, you'd have to coordinate across five, seven, eight different teams. What we've deliberately done is we've basically broken our entire product platform into microservices based on search, price, book, post-booking experiences, all the way through our different levels of supply. The reason why we've done that is to enable the first two levers that I talked about and people in process to enable those teams to work in their own little discrete uh, parts of the platform to iterate, test, and deploy code very quickly and effectively. And during COVID, we doubled down on making investments in those areas because what we saw in coming out of COVID was just a rapid scaling of our business that enabled us from a technology pers- perspective when we got you know larger amounts of traffic on our platform we were quickly able to scale up and down using kubernetes and the elasticity of our platform if we hadn't put those capabilities into place the supply chain was in such disarray that would have taken us months to get servers and hardware into our data centers to make it available so 
Very interesting indeed, Marty. Thank you for sharing those, those examples. Um, any other kind of learnings from that period uh, that you would draw forward? I mean, among those you might cover are just ways of working and means of collaborating and, you know, sort of exemplifying your culture when perhaps some some of your team members are not together as often as they would have been in 2019 and so on. I think one of the things that makes the company really, really special is is the culture. And we have a a no jerk policy as it pertains to like hiring and how people engage with one another. I think during COVID, you know, for me in particular, I, I put a lot of focus in just on checking in with people to make sure that from a mental health perspective and from a, a collaboration perspective that they felt engaged and understood what we were trying to do and that they knew that I was there if they needed anything else outside of work. Uh, and that's really carried on, you know, post COVID. I mean, you know, during the great resignation and now when things have kind of stabilized, you know, people don't work for great companies. They work for great managers. And we've made investments, particularly on my management team, to make sure that we create high performing teams that are not only focused on, you know, driving great product development and innovation, but are also focused on driving great engagement from our engineers and our employees, which is just as important uh, for building great products. Yeah, interesting points uh, uh, across the board there as well. Um, I, I wanted to also ask you, I mentioned at the outset that you've been a chief technology officer, I think it's 17 years or so uh, across six different companies. Uh, CTO is such a varied role. Uh, you know, it can be a report to a CIO. It could be the sort of the Top, top dog in technology and digital, as is the yeah. case here. Uh, it, it's a co-founder oftentimes of a Silicon Valley, uh, you know, venture-backed company. Um, and no doubt you've had different flavors across the different organizations as well. Uh, talk a bit about this role that you've, the, you know, this title that you've had, but the different sets of responsibilities associated with it across your, you know, many years in yeah. the role. Yeah, it's a, I think one of the things that I've, I've learned about the role is that the the chief technology officer isn't the smartest guy in the room as it pertains to technology. Obviously, you have to have really good technical acumen to perform this role, which, you know, there are so many brilliant CTOs out there that are really good technically. But you also have to be the chief collaboration officer, particularly in the roles that I've had. Um you know, when I was working at Pfizer and we were going through a massive transformation of our business, and um, this is at the time when the genome got mapped and everyone was figuring out now we're really going to have to use technology to do drug discovery, drug development, and commercialization of of uh, of compounds. That really required the me and my role to really work with the business to understand the transformation that was going to happen from an employee perspective. And technology, quite frankly, was the easy part. It would, the harder part was working closely with the business to understand the impact it would have on the individual. At Shutterstock, the same thing applied. We, we were launching a brand new API business, and that required the CTO, and uh, which was me at the time in that role, working closely with the head of our new API business to come up with a, a business plan and a hiring strategy that made sense to scale the business out and how we would design the product in a way that became self-service, which 
would enable us to scale the business without adding an enormous amount of headcount. Uh, and at Priceline, uh, it's, you know, generative AI is a great case in point where working closely with our chief product officer and our CEO, it's really understanding the, the, cap- the business capabilities that we want to develop with these tools uh, and what impact it will have on our consumers, our products, our, our financial and balance statements to uh, how we should be designing these from a technical perspective. So the EQ that's required for the CTO role, I would say is uh, of a higher um, element of success for the job than the technical capabilities are. You know, that's something that I learned throughout my, you know, 17, 18 years of doing this is the EQ stuff is really, really important for the role. That's interesting. I can only imagine it's increasingly so uh, as the years have gone on, but that's uh, fascinating insights, uh, Marty. We talked about a number of trends of growing importance and how you are helping uh, to leverage those and drive those within the context of Priceline. Any others as you look to the future that have you particularly intrigued, Marty? Um, you know, we're doing a lot on the uh, in the self-service analytics space. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been rolling out is we're very uh, hyper-focused on bookability, which is really the the how the customer actually buys a product and is there friction friction as part of that process. So we're excited about a new set of capabilities that we're rolling out to do anomaly detection um, and also, you know, alerting consumers to price drops in our products. So that's that's one that I'm um you know, super excited about, you know, you know, quantum computing, I think is one where I don't think it's yet hit our business, but that we're, that I'm at least for me anywhere is keeping an eye on because the time to train some of these large language models will be greatly reduced by using something like quantum computing or drug discovery will, will definitely get sped up uh, in using quantum computing. So that's, you know, another area where we're focused on it. And certainly, you know, looking at generative AI, it's going to have an impact on what's the role of software engineering moving forward. If some of the, the I would say, you know, testing capabilities or, or, you know, code pairing capabilities can be augmented by using these large language models around, you know, software development. So those are the three things that I'm super excited about now. And we're we're keeping an eye on and um, we're, we're certainly seeing some of those being built into our products today. Yeah, very interesting. I look, look forward to seeing the results of some of some of those very ideas uh, uh, as, as a user. Uh, I wanted to also ask you as somebody, as I mentioned, who has for 17, 18 years been a chief, a chief technology officer across such a diverse array of companies. Uh, Marty, what have been some of the secrets to your success? Uh, what have been some of the difference makers along the way that have allowed you to uh, and pushed you to to the heights that you've reached professionally? I would say, you know, there there's one gentleman um, at Pfizer that I think was probably the best mentor I ever had. And I was interviewing for the, the chief architect position um, you know, early on in my career at Pfizer and I didn't get the role and, you know, the insights and feedback he gave me, he he said, listen, you're not ready for the role because the, the way in which you work with other people is somewhat off-putting. 
Uh, and so if you're going to do this role, you have to learn to really work with people in a way that enables them to be at their best. And, you know, that for me, that failure was a huge insight to shaping my leadership style and set of capabilities that I have today. Um, so that was one experience I think that was that was really good. I think, too, I mean, my undergraduate background is in speech communication and leadership studies. You know, I studied I was studying to be a lobbyist of all things, graduating from college and didn't have a traditional comp sci background. So I think that helped me in a way where I feel comfortable talking with people and can articulate things. So I think there, you know, my view is that uh, I embrace liberal arts majors that get into technology uh, as their second life because they bring a set of capabilities to the table that uh, traditional comp side people don't necessarily have the experience in doing. So I think that's the second thing. The third thing is fail fast and fail safe. We've always tried to build, or at least in my teams, build cultures where people feel empowered, they're held accountable, but they also have a safe environment to fail. Particularly at Priceline, we do a lot of A-B testing and there's a lot of failure associated with that. So being able to fail fast and fail safe is, is, is critical as well. Can I just, I'd love to double click on your insight of, of hiring people with diverse academic backgrounds in technology. And I wonder, you know, given the degree to which you and your team have become immersed in generative AI and the uh, the development that that now AI can do that humans, you know, still do and, and, and but maybe doing less. It almost seems like perhaps the wisdom of what you're describing becomes that much better. Um, having people yeah. with diverse arrays of backgrounds. Is that is that provocative? What do you what do you think of that? I think it's you know, I was talking to somebody the other day is that the the software engineer of tomorrow uh, will be will be someone that has to piece together different Lego blocks from an architecture perspective or take blocks of code and understand how they're going to impact um, the, the consumer or the customer. Um, and that, that requires uh, a diverse background and mindset to really understand. You know, the software engineer of tomorrow will be a part product manager, part business analyst, part architect, part code reviewer, code generator. Uh, all of those capabilities require require some level of diversity and thinking to understand how all these capabilities will impact someone using them. So I have always embraced people with diverse educations and backgrounds because I think they bring that much more perspective to what I just described um, versus your traditional comp sci major that only understands you know, C++ design and database structures, that world will almost some in some way, shape or form become less onerous for the non-traditional technology people to make judgment calls around. Interesting thoughts. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that continues to evolve, needless to say. But uh, Martin Broadback, thank you so much for a great conversation covering your the, your, your vast experience across multiple stops, but obviously with uh, a lot of depth uh, and breadth to the experience you have at Priceline, the innovations you and your, your team are helping drive, uh, the orientation that you have facilitated in this, this, uh, this company uh, during some really dynamic times, to say the least. It's been a really great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Uh, likewise as well. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you today. I really enjoyed it. 
Uh, great pleasure. <laughs>